Thank you, Austin. All right, so um, we've got a guest this morning. Looking forward to this. Uh, many of you know we've partnered with Mexican Medical Ministries for a number of years. We've seen T, uh, Steve Cruz come and, and share a number of times with us. Uh, we have the, the joy of having uh, Craig Libby, his wife, uh, Christy. Um, Craig's going to come and share and, and teach us from God's Word this morning as well as give us an update. And so, Craig, you want to come up? Uh, you are, are you the, the VP okay. of Mexican Medical as I read that? So, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right, so I'm not going to do a whole lot of intro. I'm going to let you just dive right into it. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. So good to be here, and uh, thank you so much for having us. And uh, just a question. Um, on the little slideshow that I sent up, I didn't have Matthew 14 on there, did I? Guess what, verse, guess what chapter we're talking about today? Guess where it was, Austin? It's right there. I opened it right up the tab to Matthew 14. Isn't God good? He's sovereign. He loves us. He created us. He knows us by name. He died for us. He, rede- he redeemed us in His blood. And He cares and, and loves us. Your recovery and your, uh, for your mental health and that, and you're taking care of God's created who work here and suffer through life. In a, in a world that has been incorporated with sin, but not the original Garden of Eden that God wanted us to dwell in and stuff, is a testimony to us today. How precious that is that you're engaging in the community, the people that God has given you to worship, to, that you have to minister to, to take care of, and you guys are, are getting it done. Praise God for your church. Praise God for the family of God. Right? As we said, um, we are from Maine. Originally, I'm from um, Holton, Maine. I grew up in Holton, Maine. My wife, Christy, grew up in Ashland, Maine. And so it's so great to be here. It's great to be in New England. Uh, of course, we love New England. And, uh, and so when, when we're away from New England, whenever you see somebody with a Boston Red Sox cap on, which is quite a bit, actually, in San Diego area and Tijuana, because it's a Navy town, right? And there's a lot of people in the Navy so from New England, and so you always feel compelled, like, hey, where are you from, you know, and where are you from, you know, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, and Orange, Massachusetts, and, <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, and, so, and so we say, say, where are you from, you know, and, uh, and then it always get a, you know, strikes up a conversation, so it's kind of funny, like, um, in the plane, like, on the way here, like, everybody's got a Red Sox hat on, right, and then you can't talk to everybody on the plane, but in Tijuana the other day, uh, I saw two guys there, and I was talking to them, and one guy had a Red Sox cap on, and I was like, hey, hey, you like, the, you like the team? Oh, yeah, I love the team, Red Sox, yeah, yeah. And the other guy had a black hat on, and it had a white N and a white Y on it. And I'm like, hi, you like the team? He goes, uh, no say, I just found it in the trash. He said, so it's like, so he said, so it is good to be here in New England. And... Uh, and I believe they start a series tomorrow. Don't they? The Red Sox and Yankees start a, a series tomorrow. But we're not here to talk about the, uh, how the Red Sox play. Aren't we glad about that? Today, we're here to talk about how we believe. And there's three ways in how we can believe that we're going to talk about today. Number one is an inherited belief. So sometimes we, we are, as Christians, we come to church, we grow up, and maybe we grew up going to church. Maybe our parents took us to church. Maybe our grandparents took us to church. It's just what we are. If you ask some people, and you've done this probably before, and say, hey, when did you become a Christian? People think like, oh, I've always been a Christian. I grew up in a Christian family. Um, I grew up going to church. And to be honest, uh, Christian and I have a son, Josh, who is uh, first year in college. And we have a daughter uh, who's a sophomore. 
And so as they've come through high school and such, we've seen different groups that they have. They have a lot of Christian uh, friends, but they have groups that they have non-Christian friends, you know, in there. And it's, it's amazing to us, having grown up in the church, that um, some of their friends have never entered a church. And their families haven't entered a church. We're older parents, but, the, but we've got our kids have parents that are in their 40s. And, 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 those, and, those, and that generation hasn't been to church, so they don't really have an inherited belief. But there's one type of belief that we can have today, and that is inherited belief. And to have a heritage and belief, like when I grew up in Amity, Maine, um, I grew up right beside the church. Okay, and so it would be like like living right here, <laughs> right beside the church, right? And uh, and we'd be in church every Sunday morning, and in those days, Sunday night and Tuesday night prayer meetings. Why Tuesday nights? Because Wednesday night was high school basketball nights. We had the prayer meeting on Tuesday nights, right? And, uh, and whenever we're playing on uh, Wednesday night, whenever we're playing Danforth, our arch rival, um, the, the Tuesday night prayer meeting seemed to be a little more intense and a little bit more longer uh, when we're playing Danforth the next day. But, but we had an inherited belief. And to have a, heritage, a Christian heritage um, is great. It's good. Okay? We're not born into salvation, though, are we? We have to be born again into salvation, right? So to have an inherited belief is good, but it's not good enough. Then another type of belief that we can believe in is an intellectual belief. Can't reason our way to heaven. But it's good to know, like sometimes we grow up and, and we know that Jesus is the reason for the season. We know that Jesus is um, the reason why we celebrate uh, Christmas, his birth, and Easter's reason why we celebrate his death and resurrection, and we know that he was an historical figure, a good man, I, uh, uh, that um, you learn about his, his, his miracles, perhaps. And, but intellectual belief is just lays there. It doesn't touch the heart, right? Was it the 12 or the 18-inch rule that we talk about between the head and the heart? So the intellectual belief in knowing about God and learning about God and Jesus is good, but it's not good enough. So that brings us to the third belief, and that's an intimate belief with Jesus, a personal, intimate belief with Jesus. And in our passage here today, in Matthew 14, that's where I think um, we can kind of see the disciples switch from an inherited belief to an intellectual belief to an intimate belief. So let's, let's set up where we're at with our, our history lesson here is in, in Matthew 14. In Matthew 14, what's happened? What's the beginning of Matthew 14? John the Baptist is beheaded. Why is he beheaded? King Herod, not, I mean, not King Herod, Herod, Herod Antipas, Herod the Tetrarch, right? King Herod, remember, has died. King Herod of Matthew 1 and Luke 1 has died, right? So this is now King uh, Herod the Tetrarch, or the fourth, one-fourth of the kingdom he has, and, uh, and he's in charge of Tiberias and, and up on the Sea of Galilee. So he is there, and he has taken for himself Herodias as a wife. Now that was bad because Herodias is his niece and was his sister-in-law. So there's three, to, and because uh, and, and it was Philip's wife. So, he's, so he divorced his first wife, took Philip's wife, and, that was, and, and she was the niece to both of them. Okay? So in multiple fronts, this is bad. Okay? John the Baptist, and, the, and remember, this is the Roman ruler over the Jewish law, the Jewish state. So John the Baptist, of course, is saying, look, you guys are ruling over us immorally, of course, and, um, and, so, and so he addressed him. Herodias didn't like that because Herodias is now elevated to the number one man, 
She doesn't want her family line to get snuffed out. She doesn't want her privileges to get snuffed out. So she has Herod put uh, John the Baptist in jail. She waits until his birthday, right? Then she has her daughter Salome do a sensual dance for him and then, and then gets his head on a platter and wipes him out, wipes that thread out to her. So this is a day when sexual and sensual um, overrides the sense of morality in government. A little bit like today, maybe. Can we think of that a little bit like today? And so, so John the Baptist is beheaded. The disciples then collect his body and bury it. And in the back of the disciples' minds, I can't help but think like, okay, here's, here's John the Baptist, who we were present as a disciple that had to be present there at the baptism. We are present, and we saw John the, God use John the Baptist to, to baptize Jesus and to commission his ministry, okay? Cousin of Jesus. Now he's beheaded for, for just no polit- for political reasons. So they've got to be thinking about that in their mind, and, um, and they're with Jesus, and Jesus takes them to the deserted place. And the, and the large crowd follows. They have the, they have the feeding of the 5,000. The, the disciples participate in the, in the feeding of the 5,000. And then Jesus sends them off down to the sea, as we read. And it was the fourth watch of the night. Jesus is now up on the, up on the mountainside praying for them, right? It's fourth watch of the night. He sends them into the storm. Now, the Sea of Galilee, remember, is 700 feet below sea level. Okay? So it is the lowest, second lowest lake in the world, but it's the lowest freshwater lake. Okay? And uh, the Dead Sea is the lowest lake in the world, but it's the lowest saltwater lake, right? So, so this is the lowest freshwater lake. So it's 700 feet below and 2,000 foot cliffs above on the side. So the anvil winds coming across the Galilean uh, countryside there would come down, and it's a very shallow lake, right? So it can build the seas really quickly. So Jesus sends them out, and, um, and we know the story that they were out there. It's the fourth watch of the night. So you got sunset to 9 p.m., 9 p.m. to midnight, midnight to 3, so it's after 3 a.m. in the morning. They're out there. They've been rolling up to nine hours, and, and they're on their own, and they don't think to call out to God. They don't have an intimate relationship with God yet. I believe that they personally had an inherited belief at this point, and I believe that the disciples had an intellectual belief at this point, but at this point they didn't quite have an intimate belief. And I often don't think of that with disciples because they think, ooh, the, the disciples, you know, the disciples, right? But, but the um, inherited belief, I'm kind of going with this with the disciples and the fact that they were called and they responded to the call. They left the boats, they left the fishing lands, they came and they followed Jesus. So they spent time with Jesus. Like us, we spend time with Jesus. We're in church. They spent time with church, they, with Jesus, like in church. They walked around with him, they lived with him, as we do as a church family and such, Okay. They had an intellectual belief because they actually saw him and worked with him. They saw him do his miracles. So they had knowledge of his power. But yet at this situation, they didn't cry out to him. And they didn't really know that he, they didn't knew, truly know that he was the son of God yet. They didn't live like he was the son of God in this moment. In the intellectual belief, if you, if you kind of count the uh, miracles, some people say historically that, that the feeding of the 5,000 is the 20th miracle. And uh, that some of the disciples weren't at the disciples weren't at all the miracles, but some of the disciples were at most of them. Okay, and so this was, so the intellectual belief they had the twentieth, and now we're getting into today's story, which is Peter walking on the water, the twenty-first miracle. So it took so these guys had seen twenty miracles, they had an intellectual belief, but now they're in the boat, they're in the, up to nine hours, and one of the one of the translations of the Bible says that they were scared out of their wits. 
So here's the good news. Jesus comes, as we know, Jesus comes towards them. He's, a, he's making intercession for them, as he is us today, at the right hand of the Father. He's on the countryside making intercession for them. They don't think to cry out to him. They're doing it their own strength up to nine hours, okay, bailing and, and rowing and the wind. We've heard of the, we know the stories, right? They should have known because just a few chapters earlier, Jesus had been in the boat with them and calmed the storm, okay? But they didn't. They didn't have that intimate belief, that he is truly the Son of God. So, the good news is Jesus comes walking towards them, comforting to know that, that, that shift, the fourth watch of the night is the darkest hours of the night, right? When the sun's coming come towards sun's sunrise and stuff, the darkest hours of the night, comforting to know that Jesus comes in the darkest hours of the night. Comforting to know that Jesus came when the seas were the highest, the waves were the highest and the seas were the deepest. Comfort to know that when they were in trouble, Jesus shows up. And Jesus could have showed up in the boat, right? He has the possibility that he could have showed up in the boat with them, but he came walking towards them in the boat, which is interesting to note because I think what he's trying to show them is what they feared the most was under his control. What they feared the most was under his feet. And see, they didn't quite get that yet because I don't think they had quite an intimate relationship with Jesus yet. So then we know the story that Peter, the 21st miracle, Peter gets to walk on the water with Jesus. Peter, you know, responds to that call. He asks. Jesus accepts him. They come back to the boat. We know that the, we know that the wind calmed down. And then, and then once they entered the boat, here's what we land on. And we read it this morning. Here's the verse we want to land on today. Matthew 14, 33. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Who are those that were in the boat? The disciples. So they had, a, they, had a, they had kind of an inherited belief. They had kind of had an intellectual belief. But until this moment, they didn't really truly realize he's the son of God. And, that's the, and, and then from then on, what did these men do? From this point on, once they really realized that Jesus is truly the son of God, these 12 men, well, 11 of them, went out and changed the world. But they couldn't have changed the world if they didn't have an intimate belief and knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. See, they went to Judea, they went to Samaria, and they went to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they took the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is to say that God has, has, an opportunity, has given the opportunity to redeem man through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the disciples here, it's a turning moment for them. And that's what you folks are doing. You folks know that Jesus is the reason. That you guys are counseling as a church, you're counseling people in the community. You folks in the church are fostering children to show them that Jesus is the Lord. Because they can go places in town, or the state, I, I assume, I don't know it, I'm sorry, but the state or in town, and they can get counseling probably, and maybe some good counseling. Uh, but, but it perhaps wouldn't be have a, um, it wouldn't be biblical counseling, you're right? But it would be have some good counseling in that. But we know that the complete counseling if, that is only through biblical counseling is that Jesus is the one that can, can give the whole complete picture to help them. Because Jesus has died for sin. He's buried sin and his blood redeems the sin of the world and, and is the complete answer for everyone. So, just, so this is where the disciples are. So we kind of wanted to talk about that today, and I wanted to talk about Christian Mai's heart. I want to give you an update on Mex Med, is that our, our hearts are, we want to share 
the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've been called to do it in Mexico. And God's given us a model of medical evangelism. And, and we have an opportunity to build the churches in Mexico. Doug and Barb asked, um, uh, Doug and Barb go with us a lot, you know, and, and uh, have come out to Mexico and, and love having them uh, with us and serve with us. And they're so kind-hearted and, and good-hearted with us and hard workers. And, and uh, they love the medical brigadas, we call. Uh, the brigadas are our medical outreaches. And they love Palenque that I'm going to talk about today. So I wanted to talk about that. He mentioned one thing about uh, talk about the border and all that and stuff. Well, I'll, I'll just say personally, because um, he loves to talk politics, right? So I'm not going to do that today. Um, but uh, Christian and I have been called to do medical evangelism. Uh, we do it in Mexico. He's called us to do it in Mexico. We do not personally watch the news, right or wrong. We don't watch the news and worry about that and stuff. We're, we're busy with focusing on, on um, what God's given us, the people that God has given us there. So we don't know about the caravans who come up through Texas. They don't come up through our border. Our border has, is the busiest land-crossing border in the world. So no two countries have a border busier than San Diego, Tijuana. 250,000 people a day cross that border, okay, legally. I don't know. I don't know how many illegally. And, um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and so what happened during COVID? Did they shut the border? They really didn't. They did shut the border here, did they not? Did the border actually shut down in Canada? Yeah. It actually did. Okay, it said that on the news. I did watch the news for this. It did, it did say that they watched it in, in San Diego, Tijuana, okay? But it did not, okay? We had medical pass, so we, we went down just about every day. Okay, so to, instead of 250,000, it was about, about 70,000 that crossed, which was nice because there's a lot less traffic in Tijuana. Um, that was nice for a while. Um, but we still continue to go down. So our goal, what God has called us to do, is to go down and, to, and over the years we've, we've uh, had a team. So our church, if you will, are, is, our, is what we call our core team. Our job is to pour into the lives of 60 Mexicans, and we have 20 medical stations, and we have three deep leadership in each station. So our job is to pour the light into, into there and have the Mexicans... Um, we gather other church members, Mexicans, and build the local church. So we personally don't deal with the caravans. We don't deal with people crossing back and forth because a lot of times the churches in Mexico that get involved with that is a lot about politics. And they waste all, spend all their time in politics. And, and sometimes TV crews from L.A. come down. And, and sometimes the wrong motivations are there. And those caravan stuff aren't, I'd love to give them the gospel. It's not what God has called us to do because it's not building the local Mexican church. Our job is to build the local Mexican church to equip them and impact their communities, right? And so to build their churches. So what we do is we go down and meet with the pastors. And so picture, if you will, think right here. We're, we're right here in the center. And think about um, where, if you were eight miles to the east and eight miles to the west. So we're in the center of 16 miles east and west. And then eight miles south, where would that be? Would that be Cannon Mountain? Or not? No? Eight miles south and eight miles north. I mean, I'm sorry, 12 miles south, 12 miles north. So in this area between 16 and 24 square miles, can we picture that? 16 miles, 24 miles, right? Insert three and a half million people. Okay? And three and a half million people in that little insert, you've got little mountains and valleys. And so take one little mountain over here, and on that there's like little... Um, so a couple little houses and shacks and, 
and then picture um, a couple little churches that don't really have parking lots, just a little house church, and then there's a lot of houses that have churches. And in that little zone, we call that an ejido, just a little area, there might be 10 or 15 house churches, okay, and two little stand-up churches. Our job is to go in and get those pastors, work with them together, get them together, working together, and we're going to then have a medical event, evangelical medical event in the center of those churches. Can't have it in one church, they don't want to get jealous. So we have to be right in the center, right? And, and these are small churches, small churches that can't pull this off themselves, but we are there to grow their churches. So that's a big job of what we do is we, we meet with the pastors, and then, then what we do is on the, on the Brigada setup day, we actually bring our little trailer. See that? See the the trailer on the left? That's my. Uh, <laughs> that's. Uh, I love that trailer. That's our dental trailer, and uh, it's a fifth wheel dental trailer. It's an old fifth wheel dental trailer. I just changed the tire on it in the street the other day in downtown Tijuana, and um, that was fun. And then, um, and then, and then we set up, and we have the churches come and set up. So our core team comes, and our churches come, and we set up our big event in the park. We set up all of our all of our tents. I'm going to go quickly through here because I'm going to. We're not out of time. And then we have registration. What do we want to do with the registration? We want the local church people in front meeting their community and local registration. A patient comes, an adult patient comes, they register for, they can register for medical, dental, chiropractic, acupuncture, lab. We've gotten pretty big over, praise God, we've gotten pretty big over the last few years and pretty capable of doing that, um, of running the lines. Once they get in line and they get registered for a dental, a service, they'll go into vital signs, BP glucose, height and weight, and if they get flagged for hypertension or, or uh, sugar, they will then get pulled over to, uh, there's a child on the front, but in the back, you can see um, Our Lady working with um, foot care, and often there's, there's diabetics have wounds on the bottom of their feet, right? So we'll teach them how to do wound care for the diabetics and health education. And then once they go from there, um, They'll go into the waiting area, and once we get into the waiting area, uh, they get called out Dental 22, Dental 23. Here's where we use the local church. The local church um, is the guides, and, they, and it's friendship evangelism. The local uh, guide from the local church, from their little village, will pick them up and then take them to the doctor, wait outside. After the doctor, take them over to pharmacy, wait outside, take them over to the prayer tent. So there's friendship evangelism and crowd control, right, at the same time. So then they go to the doctor. And the doctor has a little touch with them and, um, and, and has a, a communication with them, a Christian doctor. They can go to the dental. This is inside our dental unit, kind of fun. And, uh, and so I'm so excited. With the dental unit, we now have, we have two, two chairs inside. We can work four chairs outside. We have four, four dental units now. So now we have a compressor that can run two dental units on each side. So we can run multiple, multiple dental. And uh, the more dental you have, the more people go to the prayer tent. Dental's a big draw, okay? And... Uh, Kind of funny because it is kind of honestly it's funny. You know, missions is you know, life is good, right? I mean, you know, life is real, right? And so it's kind of funny. Someone's got their tooth and and they're, it's kind of bloody sometimes and a little tooth and and then they go to the prayer tent. Would you like to say, oh yes, <laughs> you know? And so they're it's kind of funny. But uh, this is um, oh, this is our new station that we're excited about. This is uh, Jorge. And uh, so Jorge um, has himself some grinders, and every time that we have to extract a tooth, we put a bridge in now. This station drives me nuts, because when we first started, it took a lot of my electricity from my, from my dental unit, it took my, my electricity, my generator, it took all my plugs, it took everything the first time. But he came as a Mexican, and he wanted to volunteer his service. This is the church of God, the family of God coming and serving what he does, okay? He's not an evangelist. 
Okay, but he can make he can make some plaster teeth and stuff, right? And, and some bridge, right? So he wants to be involved with that. The family of God, we all work together, as this church does, to 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 impact this community. And so he he brought this to us. He did one bridge all day, and it took up a lot of my time, which I, I had to repent of um, that I wasn't happy about. And 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 he did okay. And then later we got convicted that that one person, we have a big testimony, we don't have time for that big testimony of the one person, but I, the Lord convicted me on that. But now we have two grinders, and we did 32 the other day. We're up to 32. Our goal is to get up to 40 by the end of the year and 50 in the spring, okay? And uh, we need, he needs some help. He needs another person to be able to do it. Then we go to haircutting. Haircutting's a big, uh, we cut their hair, okay? And, and then during this time, we have a children's evangelism. At the same time, the, the adults are going on. So the kids' evangelism, they have to come in and register the child in a secure area. They have 10 stations they go through. So every station they go through, station number one is, is um, uh, eight glasses of water. We want them to learn that they need eight glasses of, bottle wa- of water per day. Okay? To reinforce that, we have eight bottles of water, and they ring toss, so we have a game to reinforce it. And then we have a little small spiritual lesson. It's, it's nothing profound, just that the Holy Spirit can be the living water in your life. Okay, just something small. Second station is like oral rehydration, Gatorade, homemade Gatorade. Get a cup of water, a little lime, a little salt, a little sugar, mix it up together, and, and test it, and they make it. And, uh, and therefore, little impurities in your life can be like the salt, can be irritant in your life. Too many sweet things are bad, too. And, and we have a little spiritual lesson. And then by the time they get to station number 10, um, they've learned about how to brush their teeth and floss and shampoo, and they've learned little lessons, health lessons, but they've also heard little gospel messages. But then there's a big gospel message at the end, right, with puppets and wordless bracelets and stuff. So in the past, I know people had collected shampoos and different things, and thank you for that. Um, and that's what the kids get as a reward when they, get, when they go through their whole 10 stations. They get a little ditty bag of, like, hotel shampoos and, and that they can take home with them and, and learn about that. But the heart of the Brigada, we do it all for this, is the prayer and evangelism station. They don't have to come to the prayer and evangelization station, but the guide brings them around. And who do we want in the prayer and evangelization station? Some of the pastors. Some do. But not all of them. Some of the pastors, you know, want to be out front greeting the patients. Some of the people want to be in there. Who do we want? The lay people. We want the lay people in there. And uh, so we get the lay people to churches. You get 16 churches and you get three people per church. And we usually have 20 women and 20 men, one-on-one counselors per event. Okay? A lay person goes in there and prays with 10 people, one-on-one. Three people pray to receive Christ with them that day. Do you realize how pumped they are? They go home and encourage and pump, and they have Uncle Umberto that who they never dared to uh, talk about it. They testify to their family what they did today. What'd you do today? I testified that three people came to know a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, and uh, and and it just grows the local church. And then and then what happens? We have favor with God so far. Um, God has given us favor, and. You know, you work hard, you plan, and you do it, and then you give it up to the Lord and wait for the Holy Spirit to do His work, right? But you've got to be prepared ahead of time, okay? And then you're content. You're prepared and you're content and you're prayed up. Typically, in our events, we see 100 to 150 people pray to receive Christ. But they need to be discipled. We need to equip them and impact the community. So to do that, that's why we need the 16 churches to be involved. We don't do it just for one church. We try not to give everybody that gets here then gets their cards divided up and gets divided into those little churches. So if I can give every one of those little churches six people, 
I don't want to give them eight or 10 because they're just really not going to get done, honestly, right? Discipleship isn't going to get done if I give them like any more than 12 a, 12 a person. So I need that many churches to really get it done. So that's our job is to build the local Mexican church. That's what God has given us. And I praise God that in the last, um, even during COVID, we had 685 people pray to recite in that year of COVID. Right? And so, and our goal is about 1,000 a year. Okay? Now, I'm going to be honest. Since COVID, things, some things have changed. So pre-COVID, we had about 1,200 people pray to receive Christ in Tijuana per year. Okay, and they'd be going into um, 60, 80 churches. I don't know the number now. Into the, and they would get discipled. We used to have a tracking number. We don't anymore. We lost some things at COVID. So the best thing to do to spend your time in, you know, at post-COVID and everything is to make sure that the thing's happening. Let's get it done. Let's get, make sure it's happening. People are getting saved, right? So now we got to do the extra work of tracking it on the back end. We lost some stuff, right, after COVID. And, um, and so, but prior to COVID and stuff, we had it. And we lost Dr. Tamez uh, prior to that. And we had, we had good numbers. But we had an 89% tra- stick rate. So 1,200 people pray to receive Christ, 1,120 or whatever. Um, are in church one year later, growing the local church, impacting the community, equipping the saints, right? And so it gets better, okay? Numbers guy, and uh, we have to run the numbers. We have to run logistics. Doesn't mean that, the, that you're getting in the way of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you do, but, but you're not supposed to. But, but if you run the numbers, you've got a plan, right? I think, I think, you know, possibly in the book of life, maybe it's numbered. I don't know. I mean, I think God doesn't mind numbers. He created them. But so the numbers are that we have, of the people that get saved, we have about 55% women and 45% men. That doesn't mean that women are softer and, they, they, and, Jesus, and men are stronger and don't need Jesus. It just means that more ladies are at the brigadas because the men are working on Saturday mornings, right? There's less men there. But of the 55% of the ladies that get saved, and then you've got 45% of the men, if the Hispanic male, his family doesn't already go to church and he gets saved, right? His family's coming to church too. We don't even have a way to track all that. Right? So that's a beautiful thing. Okay? So that's our hearts, is the medical evangelism. And see, look at the one-on-one prayer tent and stuff here. Um, that they're, and they're um, asking Christ. I want to talk about this real quick, if I have time, before, uh, because this is one of Doug's favorite places in the world. He loves this place. He loves Halifax. He loves, the, he loves Palenque. Palenque, we have trained now our 60 core team. So, so I don't know if I'm clear on that. From Tijuana, we have our 60 core team in Tijuana. Okay, that goes all over Tijuana, and then we join with the local community. We need another 60 people from that little hill side of those churches that we're going. We need 120 people to pull off our big brigadas, volunteers. 60 core, so we know what we're doing every time. We're organized. 60 from that little hill, and next, and next month it's going to be that hill, right, and those churches, okay, in Tijuana. But what's the better thing? We've got to reproduce ourselves. We're getting a little older. So we're teaching our Tijuana and friends, our core team of our Tijuana to go and teach others, right? That's what missions is. So, so, so here, we, here we are up in the upper left. We're way up there at the top of the Baja, Baja 1000, 1,000 miles between the top of San Diego and Cabo San Lucas, right? Baja 1000. But we're, we're up in the very top left corner. But then we go down to Guatemala right near, I mean, uh, Chiapas, right beside Guatemala. And, um, and so we go to Chiapas and we have a hospital there and... Uh, this is our core team. This is on our left is Octavio. I want to introduce that. And if Doug's listening, he knows, he knows and loves these four people right here. Octavio is on the left, Estelita, Alfredo, and Ruben. Ruben's our hair cutter for the last 10, 15 years. This is our son, Josh. Once we get to Guatemala, we have to go up river sometimes to the village. And so we're taking the eye chart up river. Uh, it's kind of fun and adventurous and fun. Um, this one's, ooh, had to be me in there. Uh, doing BP glucose. 
And then we have dental, looks a little different, a little smaller. We don't do 1,000 people in these days. We may do 40, 50 in the village. But what are we there for? We're there for to build the local church. Okay, so I took our Tijuana team there last winter, and we took our core team of uh, five from Tijuana to Palenque. We took there, and we went to the little village churches because they had been flooded out recently, and we kind of ministered to the village, the church people. And that was good. That was good, and, we, and 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 some people got saved. But there in the village, they don't really come into the church. If you're not part of the church, it's pretty well segregated. Okay, so we went back. Went back a few months later took our core team, and we convinced our missionaries down there, encouraged them down there to let's go into the villages and let's do it in the central parks in the villages. And they don't really have parks, but there's a little cement area, and then we can get there and hopefully some covering. And, um, and we'd do it there in the village, okay? We went during a week that was kind of like, that was kind of like their idol worship week. Okay, so talk about inherited belief, okay? In the villages down here, Okay, if you ask a 13-year-old boy in the village, in one of the villages, um, many of them are Christian villages, and they say, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I grew up in a Christian village. And all that means is that this Christian village, they have a church. They all go to church Sunday morning at 7 to 8 before it's too hot. And then, and then that's it. They grew up in a Christian church village. That means that they're not a pagan village, whereas a pagan village... Okay, they get together every in the, in the New Moon Festival every month. They offer sacrifices, and they have to offer money, they have to have alcohol, a lot of drinking, a lot of that, and that's a pagan village. So if you ask a kid, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. And then he would go to church and have a little bit of intellectual knowledge. Okay, but we find that they don't have an intimate knowledge with Jesus Christ. And that's what we can give them through the medical, okay? Because if you go down there and, you, and just give them medical, that's good. That's good, that's good, that's good humanitarian thing. But if you go down and set up a, a stand in the park and say, I want to tell you about God, it's not going to probably be that effective. But if you put them together, God's given us a model where it's been effective with that. So we had 84 people pray to receive Christ that first time around the churches. The next time we go down and through a week's worth of things, we had 274 people pray to receive Christ down there and build the local churches down there. So this is just some of our Chol speaking. Um, I don't know if they speak Chol where you are in Guatemala, but this is the Mayan dialect of, of Chol uh, that they speak there. Spanish is their second language. Oh, there's Ruben. And I've got several in there. Ruben, Ruben's our hair cutter for several years. I mentioned him. And the reason I mentioned him is kind of fun because he loves to cut hair. He's been trained to do one-on-one -on -one evangelism, but he never has to do it. He cuts hair. We've got plenty of one-on-one -on -one evangelists in, in Tijuana, right? But he's been trained. So one day, the eyeglass station, we're down in Palenque. The eyeglass stations are going long. He's done with his hair. He swept up all of his hair that he could. And, uh, and, and Estelita made him uh, sit down and, and do a one-on-one -on -one prayer evangelism. He's nervous. Anybody ever been nervous about sitting down and talking to someone about their relationship with Jesus Christ? Okay. He looked like an old, my son and I were laughing. We love, we love him, right? We're with him all the time. My son and I were laughing at him because he looked like an old dog trying to go into a bath. He did not want to go sit down at that table. Okay. He did not. And Estelita, she's about this tall, but she's strong. She, she got him over there and he sat down and uh, he was nervous. And, uh, and the first man that came up to him, he prayed with him and he shared his testimony with him. He just shared his testimony with him. Didn't do the four spiritual laws. He shared his testimony with this man and showed him the redeeming grace that God has showed him and the way to salvation. And that first man prayed to receive Christ. That man right there prayed to receive Christ with him that day. He was so encouraged. He led three other people to the Lord that day. Now, the, did he become an evangelist right away? 
The next day he learned he swept, he kept sweeping at the end of the day. His, his station was the cleanest it's ever been. And so, okay, but we did get him in the, we got him back on the horse a couple of times and I think he led seven people to the Lord that week. Okay, and uh, this guy on the right, what's our job down there? This guy on the right is a pastor at our hospital. In Palenque, just the culture is, we're not there to even change the culture, but we're there to give them a tool and encourage them and pray about it, right? Okay, but the culture is that as a pastor, that people come into the wards, the, um, the hospital, and he just goes uh, in the morning, just does a general prayer over him in the morning. And that's good, okay? But we want to give him a tool to do one on one evangelism, okay? And not everybody's equipped or, or, with this. So we equipped him. He was nervous. He did three or four the first time we get him out, and then now he does that. And so now he, he's, and he led about seven people, Lord, each day. And so we're gone. He's there every day. Give him the tool, the confidence that he can pray with people and, uh, and show them the way to the Lord. Uh, that's our daughter, happened to be with uh, one of our old friends. Um, she's known her since birth. She used to carry her around in one of those little slings when we were in the village. That's uh, our daughter, Katie. This is Tootie. Tootie um, is something that, does anybody have a Tootie in their life? <laughs> a Tootie in my life is about nine years ago, 11 years ago, the Brigadas, praise God, have become quite big in Tijuana. We can no longer drive around in our vans, all of our equipment. We have a 32-foot old box truck, a $1,000 old truck, but we needed to carry it with a tractor trailer. We needed a tractor trailer to take it to our location sites every event. We have a Christian man named Jorge Comanche with Comanche Trucking who donated one of his men to drive our truck. So Jorge Comanche is a kind of guy who who has a trucking company, has all these white boxes in San Diego and Tijuana, and has Jesus Christ is Lord on every one of those boxes. If the boxes isn't in use, driving up and down the road, he plucks it on a bridge, right? And so he has Tootie, but Tootie's an employee. Tootie does not come from an inherited belief, but Tootie has an intellectual belief of God. He knows his, he knows his, his boss is a Christian. He knows that he drives around Jesus Christ as Lord boxes all the time, and he knows that he comes to our location and delivers our box to our location and then he comes and picks it up and takes it back to our storage. In the 11 years, was it nine, 11? I think I've got this wrong. I think in the 11 years, including the COVID years, in the 11 years that he worked, uh, volunteered for us, delivering it to that, we had over 9,000 people pray to receive Christ one-on-one. -on -one. He's not at these events. He comes and delivers, and then he comes and picks up, but he knows about it. He's asked for prayer many times, but Tootie always had didn't have an intimate relationship with God because he always prayed and asked us to pray for his health and stuff, but he didn't think, he thought he's done too many bad things in life. And he's done some bad things. We know him real well. But not beyond the grace of God. That's where he has to know that Jesus truly is the Son of God, greater than anything that man can do, greater than anything that man can perform or act of badness. God is greater than that. He makes man, it's nothing to him, right? But Satan had him trapped in that. So in the winter, we do our brigadas year-round, except for in the winter, where it's real cold, there's a couple months that we don't do them, we go to Palenque, where it's warm. During this winter time, this last winter, Tootie passed away, and I didn't get to see him for a few weeks. Uh, I went to his funeral, about 30 of us there, he's a very poor man, it wasn't in a church or a, or a nursing home or anything, or a funeral home, it's in a little rented hall, sad situation, uh, no hope in this, in this little service, it was really sad, cried through most of it. And, um, and I sat there, and I'm like, Tootie's been with me for nine years. Was there a time when I didn't express my faith to him? He's seen it, you know? He's seen the faith and stuff, but was there a time? 
And I ask myself, what, do I have a neighbor? Do I have a relative? Do I have a coworker that I haven't expressed my faith? They probably know that I go to church as an inherited belief. They probably know that I have some knowledge of the Bible, an intellectual belief. But they see that I have an inherited belief. Do they see that in my daily life, that I have an inherited belief in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord and there's the Son of God? And if that's the case, why wouldn't I share that with everybody? Okay, is my fear of talking to that person about their salvation, is that greater than the Lord's redemptive grace and love for us? So I ask you today, who's your tutti? Honestly, we've got a tutti at 4 o'clock today. We're going up to see a relative. Ask your prayers on that. They have an inherited person we're going to see that has an inherited belief. They have an intellectual belief. I'm not judging them, but I don't believe that they have an in, in, um, intimate belief. Thank you. Do we all have a duty in our lives? Can we work on that? Can we pray that God would give us an opportunity this week? Pray it up and give us an opportunity to interact with Tutti and just show them that, there, that we can have an intimate belief with Jesus Christ. Thank you. Sorry, I went long. Sorry. Thanks, Greg. Sorry, Appreciate I went long. That. I'm sorry. No, no, no longer than me, I don't think. I'm going to get the worship team to come up here and, and lead us in our, our closing worship set, but we do want to go to the Lord in prayer. And with that challenge, with Craig's challenge, uh, Lord Jesus, we come to you today. We are thankful to hear of the, the great work that is happening around the world and how we are able to partner and feed into that, even while we're way up here in the north, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you just continue to give Mex Medical um, the grace that they need and the, um, uh, just the resources that they need to continue um, working in, in the areas that, uh, the, of health and um, also evangelism. Uh, do, we do come and ask you for wisdom to show us who these people are in our lives that need to see an intimate relationship with Jesus and experience that. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd convict our hearts. Show us uh, who these people are that we can share with uh, this week, Lord. We come in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.